Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. What a great day it is to rejoice in the hope that we have in Jesus. Isn't that right? Jesus is alive. He has risen indeed. And today I want to talk about that, obviously. Um, Lifeway Research does ongoing surveys, and here's one a few years old back in 2016. That seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? So much has changed in the world. But in 2016, Lifeway Research uh, said that when it comes to believing that Jesus was literally, physically, bodily resurrected after his death, here's what Americans think. Two-thirds of Americans uh, believe the biblical account of a physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, that it's completely accurate. However, 23% disagree and 13% are not sure. Interesting pulse on the culture today. What I want to tell you is that the biblical record provides a clear account that Jesus Christ was indeed raised from the dead in a physical body And we're going to look at that. If you have your Bibles in the New Testament, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. I want to start there first because uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is known as the resurrection chapter. Every single thing in that particular chapter in the New Testament is all about one key idea, and that is the resurrection of the dead. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, here's what Paul the Apostle wrote. He says, now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you, as most important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is another name for Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, And last of all, as one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. And Paul is referring to himself when long after Jesus had ascended to heaven and Paul was persecuting Christians on the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with the risen, glorified, uh, resurrected um, Jesus Christ. And so let's look at that for a minute. I want to give you four reasons this morning why we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Quite frankly, the resurrection of of Jesus Christ is of utmost importance to Christians and our faith in Jesus because without the resurrection of Christ, we don't have any hope. We have no reason to be here this morning. We We have no reason to read our Bibles. We have no reason to live our lives for Him because if the resurrection of the dead is a farce, then why even bother, right? But I want to tell you that everything is based on the resurrection of the dead, and it's very compelling when you think about it. Why do we believe in the resurrection of the dead? First of all, it's a historical event. It actually happened. Louis uh, Marcos said this, 
History provides us with an indisputable fact that no sources, Christian or otherwise, ever disputed. And here's the fact they didn't dispute, that the tomb in which Jesus' body was laid on Good Friday was empty on Easter Sunday morning. Nobody can dispute that. It doesn't matter what sources you use, biblical or not biblical, uh, no one can dispute the fact that it happened and the tomb was empty. I like what uh, Brett Kunkel said. He said, where was Jesus publicly executed? It was in Jerusalem, and it was a public execution when he was nailed to the cross. He hung on a cross between two thieves. Where did the disciples start proclaiming Jesus' resurrection? Again, in Jerusalem. He says, think about these two facts together. How does Christianity get started if Jesus' body is still in the tomb? It doesn't. You see, Jewish and Roman leaders, simply all they had to do was produce the body of Jesus and game over. But that didn't happen. Instead, the disciples preached the resurrection in the very city where Jesus was crucified, and that's only possible if the tomb is empty. Think about that. It was a historical event. The second reason why we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the physical evidence. Uh, Look, if you will, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, beginning in verse 62. It says, The next day which followed the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate And they said, Sir, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days I will rise again. So give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come, steal him, and tell the people he has been risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. Take guards, Pilate told them. Go and make it as secure as you know how. And they went and secured the tomb by setting a seal on the stone and placing the guards. You see, the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, believed Jesus was a deceiver. They didn't believe his claims to be Messiah were true, so they painted him as a deceiver. And yet, he really was who he claimed to be, and he proved it on the third day by rising from the dead. To put it in athletic terms, he called a shot. He says, on the third day, I'm going to rise again, and then he did it. And so I want you to understand that uh, after his death and burial, they get together and they go to Pilate and they say, oh, we, we've got to make sure we got our bases covered. We've got to make sure that there is no way that anybody can get into that tomb to steal his body. Or that would be, that would be even worse. They would say that he's come back from the dead. And so Pilate says, go ahead, make it as secure as you want. And so notice that the, the Romans took at least three precautions to ensure that no one could steal the body of Jesus. They used a stone. It was a very huge, heavy stone. It would have took quite a few men to leverage it and move it, not just one or two. That was the first thing. The second thing was a seal. The Romans put a seal on the stone, adding extra security and also knowing that if anybody tampers with the seal, then that's a sign that there's been something amiss. And so they put a seal on the stone. And then, of course, there were the guards. Now, you know, seeing church plays and dramas in the past, I've always kind of visualized two, three, maybe four, you know, guys standing guard at the tomb. 
But as I was reading this, many commentators believe it could have been as many as 20 to 30 Roman soldiers. You might say, well, why so many? Well, first of all, if they're expecting a group of people to come and steal the body, you need more than a couple of guards. And so there could have been quite a few Roman guards at this tomb. In other words, more than just two or three. And so all of these precautions were taken simply so no one could get in. They never figured about him getting out. Amen? But that was the, the, the game plan. And so as Lee Strobel said, he said the best evidence for the empty tomb is that even the opponents of Jesus admitted the tomb was empty. When the disciples began proclaiming that Jesus had risen from the dead, the opponents simply said, well, the disciples stole the body. In other words, they conceded that the tomb was empty, but they tried to have their own explanation as to how it got empty. So everybody agrees that the tomb was empty on Easter Sunday morning, but how it got empty, that's the real issue. You know, if you look at John uh, 20, uh, verse 1, It says, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. Now, if you read Matthew 28, you will find that an angel came after a violent earthquake and rolled the stone away, not to let Jesus out, but to let people look in and go, wow, it's an empty tomb. He is not here And then the angel says, he's not here. See where the body lay. He has risen from the dead. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. It's still dark and she sees the stone had been removed from the tomb. And so she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, which is John, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. And at that, Peter And John went out heading for the tomb, and the two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then following him, Simon Peter also came, and he entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. And the other disciple, which is John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, saw, and believed. And it says they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Now, if you were going to steal a body, would you take the time to take all of that dress off of the body after they had prepared the body for burial? I don't think so. Who would want to handle a decaying corpse, right? You just wouldn't want to do that, or you wouldn't want to touch the dead body like that. You'd want to make sure that, hey, there's clothes on that thing. It's been prepared for burial. I'm just going to grab it and hurry up. Let's get out of here. Can you imagine anybody, you know, actually stealing a dead body and just kind of camping out for a while? Oh, we got plenty of time. Oh, hang on. We got to get him ready, you know. No, you're going to say, hey, hurry up. Let's go, and let's get out of here. Let's make haste. So the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and he got rid of the grave clothes because he didn't need them anymore. And he left them there. And he even took time to take the face covering and and fold it and put it in another spot. Uh, If someone had stolen a body, they wouldn't have done it that way. Again, let the physical evidence uh, tell the story. 
Professor Thomas Arnold says thousands and ten thousands of people have gone through uh, this account piece by piece as carefully as a judge summing up a most important case. And he says, I know of no one fact in all of history of mankind which is proven better with fuller evidence than that Christ died and rose again from the dead. Think about all the people through the years that, that since this happened over 2,000 years ago who have looked at the evidence and tried to prove it wrong. I know I can think of two or three people already. Uh, Josh McDowell comes to mind for sure. There's others that at some point in their life set out to disprove the claims of Christ, to prove that the story of the resurrection isn't true. And then by the time they look at all the evidence and take it in and weigh it out, they end up becoming a believer and a follower of Jesus. Why? Because it's an actual historical event and there was physical evidence that you can examine and consider the claims of Christ. But more than that, not only do we believe the resurrection of Christ because of the historical event and the physical evidence, what about the testimony of eyewitnesses? Do you know how hard it is sometimes, even in today's age, to have an eyewitness account that can say, I was there, I saw this, and they're simply telling you what they saw and heard. Well, consider that there are at least 10, 10 post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ. I don't have time to go through all of these and read the, the biblical text, but I will mention them to you. The first one was Mary Magdalene, we read in John 20. Then in uh, Matthew 28, we discover the other Mary, Salome, Joanna, and at least one other woman were going to the tomb to prepare the, to finish the, the, the burial process of the body to bring more spices for the grave clothes and such. Then there was Simon Peter that is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15. And then there is Cloapus and a, and a companion, these two men that were walking on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. And then there are the uh, ten of the eleven disciples. Remember Judas, he went out and hung himself. There were eleven left in the immediate aftermath of the resurrection. And out of those eleven, ten of them were there gathered in an upper room. Thomas wasn't there, and he appeared to them. And then Thomas heard about it and said, Unless I see his hands and his side, I won't believe. And a few days later, Thomas is with the other uh, ten disciples, and there is Jesus. And he says, Hey, Thomas, come see. And so you have those two different uh, uh, appearances, the 11 disciples minus Thomas and the 11 disciples including Thomas. And then you have the story in John 21 where seven of the disciples are at the Sea of Tiberias and they're fishing. And then you've got the disciples at a large gathering at a mountain in Galilee, which is referred to in Matthew 28 and, of course, 1 Corinthians 15. And by the way, 1 Corinthians 15 says that he appeared to over five hundred brothers and sisters at one time. Can you imagine if you had been one of those 500 people that was an eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus Christ? Wouldn't that have been awesome? Boy, that would have been awesome. 500 people at one time saw with their own eyes the risen Jesus Christ. And then, of course, the ninth appearance when you put all these things together in the Scriptures, the ninth appearance, uh, it, it seems, according to 1 Corinthians uh, 15, verse 7, is James. You might say, who is James? Well, James, the Lord's brother. 
James who ended up becoming the pastor of the early church in Jerusalem. James who wrote a letter in our New Testament called the the book of James. That James specifically, the Lord's half-brother, he is the one that became a believer. You know, he, he was physically kin to him. They had the same mother, Mary. And so he grew up around his brother. Uh, You know, his brother could do no wrong. I'm sure he probably didn't like that. But as he began to see things, he he really didn't believe during Jesus' earthly ministry. There's a a verse in the Gospels that tells that even his own family thought he he was crazy, that he'd lost his mind. But after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus appeared to his brother James, and James became a believer. And then the 10th post-resurrection appearance of Christ is when the disciples saw him ascend into heaven in Acts chapter 1. And so we have this testimony of eyewitnesses, all these people that saw Jesus with their own eyes after he rose from the dead, including over 500 people at one time. Do you realize that's more than everyone in this room? 500 people at one time. That's amazing to me. And so we believe in the resurrection of Jesus because it's a historical event, because of the physical evidence, because of the testimony of eyewitnesses. And the fourth reason we believe is because of the Christian's experience. Now, I could talk about my experience as a Christian. Many of you could too, but I want to go all the way back to the beginning when all this happened. And I want to submit to you two people that it totally changed their lives. And that is Paul the Apostle. You know, before he became a believer, his name was Saul. And he was a a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And when he heard about uh, uh, Jesus and he heard about all these people that were following Jesus... He didn't think it was right. He didn't agree with it. He thought it was a, a sham and a farce. And so he got permission from the, from the priest to go and round these people up, put them in jail, and in some cases persecute them. When Stephen was the first Christian martyr in, in the book of Acts, Paul was there applauding, looking on, approving of what was happening. And yet the Bible reveals that this same Saul encountered the risen, glorified Christ on the road to Damascus. And that very day, he became a believer. And that very day, he began to preach the very gospel that he used to oppose. Paul was an interesting man. Look forward to talking to him in heaven someday. Because one minute, he's trying to kill Christians, and therefore Christians don't want to be around him. The next day, he becomes a Christian, and they still don't want to be around him because they're like... uh, Is this guy for real? And then when they finally realize that he is for real, then everybody else takes offense and they want to kill him. What an amazing guy. He loved the Lord and he was willing to go all in for Jesus and share the gospel with people no matter what the cost or the consequences. That was Paul. How do you explain his life if there was no resurrection of the dead? And then, of course, the second example would be James, the Lord's brother. Out of all the people that impresses me more than than Paul and and even Peter is James. I mean, let's think about it. Let's talk about family for a minute. You know, sometimes, you know, you you, you meet somebody that you admire and you want to get to know and maybe you want to impress them and all along here comes a brother, a sister, or a family member and say, hey, 
What do you want to know? And inside you cringe, right? You're like, oh, no. Family can humble you like nobody else can. Family knows everything about you because they see what you're really like when you're at home behind closed doors and nobody else sees that. And yet here is James, the Lord's brother. And he's like, you know, I don't believe all this. I, I mean, I, I love my brother. He's, he's, a, he's a good man. He's a, he's a godly man. He, he's really smart. He, man, he teaches the Bible. And he didn't go to school. He didn't go to seminary. You know, he didn't hang around rabbis. Look at what all he knows. Yeah, he's doing some miracles. Now he's going off the deep end. He's claiming to be the Son of God. That just can't be. And then after the crucifixion, after the burial, on the third day when Jesus rises from the dead, and thereafter when Jesus appears to his brother James, James says, I got that wrong. I believe. I believe he is the Son of God. I believe. He is more than just a man and more than just a carpenter, more than just a prophet, more than just a rabbi. He is who he claimed to be, and that is he is the Son of God. That's some really compelling truth uh, and evidence when you think about it, when you consider the Christian experience. And then you begin to think of all the people who became believers in Jesus Christ through all the years of history that have happened ever since. How could it be? if there wasn't a resurrection of the dead. So I say all that to say this. Why does the resurrection of Christ matter? That's my last question, and it's got two answers. Why does the resurrection of Jesus Christ matter? Well, first of all, it's joy for the believer. When you read 1 Corinthians 15, it talks all about the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection that we will experience because we uh, belong to Christ. But that chapter ends with a stunning statement. At the very end, the very last verse of 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Therefore, in other words, in light of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We as Christians need to live like we can't lose. You know why? Because He's already won. What you do matters. Everything you do for Christ matters. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter if people see it or not. What you do for Jesus Christ matters. And because He is real, because He is alive, because one day we will be raised from the dead and stand before God, it all matters. And as a Christian, we can look at this with joy because as Danny said, we've been redeemed. The debt that I owe, the penalty of judgment that I deserve, Jesus paid at that cross. He he paid it with His own body, with His own life. He shed His blood. Remember the responsive reading. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Well, guess what? Jesus shed His blood for you and for me. And so He has redeemed us. He has paid our debt in full. He has took upon Himself the punishment that you and I deserve, even though He didn't deserve it. 
And so, yes, the resurrection of Jesus Christ matters. It means joy for the believer, but it means judgment for the unbeliever. You might say, how so, Corey? I'll submit to you just a couple of verses. It's found in the book of Acts chapter 17. The story, the background story is this. Paul ends up in a city called Athens, Greece. And he's, he's trying to reach these, these Greek people that are very philosophical. And he's wanting to preach the gospel to them. And he walks around the city of Athens and he sees all these temples, all these monuments to this God, to that God, to all these idols. And he finally finds one, one, one monument here that says, to the unknown God. And he says, you know what? I'm going to tell you about this unknown God that you don't know. I know him. His name is Jesus. He is the Son of God. He created the heavens and the earth. And now in chapter uh, Acts 17, verse 30, he says, Right now God commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. You know what Paul just said there? He said, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead proves there's going to be a judgment day. It proves that when you die, it's not over. It proves that when you live your life how you please, and then you finally close your eyes, and your body's buried in the ground, and you're dead, that that's not the end. The game's not over. That you will one day stand before God in judgment for everything you've ever said or did. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you choose not to believe it, it still applies to you. Because it means that one day, someday, you will stand before God. You see, the resurrection of the dead proves there's going to be a judgment day. And the evidence for the resurrection is so compelling. We've looked at some of it, but let me remind you again. Consider the evidence. Consider the empty tomb. No one disputes that the tomb was empty. Consider the grave clothes. Why in the world, if you were going to steal a body, would you take the time and effort to take the grave clothes off? Wouldn't that be like a package already ready to just grab and go? But that's the case. It proves that Jesus rose from the dead. And when the stone was rolled away, they didn't let him out. He was already gone. It allowed us to see that he wasn't there. He had risen. Consider the empty tomb. Consider the grave clothes. Consider, I've got two more. Consider the Lord's day. What do I mean by that? After Jesus rose from the dead, they stopped worshiping God on the Sabbath, which is the seventh day of the week, which is Saturday, and they started worshiping Him on Sunday. How in the world could you change a religious tradition that's rooted in Scripture all the way back to the days of creation? God created everything in six days. On the seventh day, He rested. I mean, how could you ever change a, a religious tradition like that? Simple. Jesus rose from the dead. It's the ultimate game changer. That changes everything. And so in the New Testament moving forward, Christians gather together on the first day of the week, which was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It was a vivid, tangible reminder of what Jesus had did. And we're reminded of it every single week we do it. Not only do we have the empty tomb and the grave clothes in the Lord's day, but what about, what about this? 
I'm holding my Bible up, but specifically, what about the New Testament? If it wasn't for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we wouldn't have a New Testament. Our Bible would be a whole lot thinner. But now we have the rest of the story. Jesus came. He lived the life that you and I should have lived. He died the death that we deserve. And now he offers the free gift of eternal life to anyone who will turn from their life of sin and trust and follow Jesus. And that's the message of this book, particularly the New Testament. And so that today, as we begin to wrap this up, I want to encourage you, will you choose to trust and follow Jesus Christ? Have you ever made a conscious decision to trust and follow Jesus? See, every one of us is confronted with claims of truth. And every one of us has to consider the historical event of Jesus. We have to consider the physical evidence. We have to consider that there were eyewitnesses, up to 500 people at one time, which is more than all of us in this room. How do you dispute that? And then what about the changed lives? I mean, I just named two, but think of all the people throughout history who believed this and it changed their lives. I want to tell you something. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is real. And I want to encourage you today to think about the experience of it. Think about the evidence of it and come to your own conclusion. Let's all stand, musicians, if you would come. And I want to encourage you this morning to make a decision to trust and follow Jesus. I want to model a prayer for you this morning. And it's my prayer that you will make a decision to trust and follow Jesus and then immediately tell someone and go public with your faith. Father, we come before you right now. Thank you for this time that we can gather together. Thank you, Lord, that we worship on this day of the week, the same day of the week that you rose from the dead. And so, Father, I pray right now for every Christian, Lord, that we would look forward in joy to the resurrection, to the hope that we have in you and that we'll be with you forever. And Father, I pray if there's someone here today, Lord, that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that today would be that day that they trust and follow you. Lord, they can simply say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe you did die on that cross for me, that you rose from the dead, and that you are now offering the gift of eternal life. And so, Father, I come before you I ask you to come into my life. I receive you by faith. And I want to trust and follow you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone that's willing to pray that prayer and ask you to come into their life, I pray, Father, that they won't sit still. But, Father, that they'll share that. And they'll follow you in believer's baptism and go public with their faith. Father, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.